Amen. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, man, we're so glad to get to do this with you this morning this way. Uh, it's cool what technology allows us to do together. And so um, we're going to begin into God's Word. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. If you don't, pause this, run in the kitchen, get it, whatever you got to do, so we can look at God's Word together today. Um, and today we're actually going back into the book of Matthew. So we spent a lot of time in the fall kind of going through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but didn't get a chance to finish it. So we want to come back and finish it now uh, in this spring uh, time leading up to Easter. And so we're in this series called Upside Down Kingdom, and we're looking at what does it mean to really follow Christ and live for His kingdom and lift it for Him as our King. Um, and He's teaching us to do that through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so this final sub-series we're going to look at is called The Student of the King, where we're really looking at these kind of final things that Jesus has for us to do and learn from him as disciples. And so uh, today Jesus is going to touch on a subject that I think we can all relate to uh, for sure, um, and that is the topic of worry. And uh, so don't turn it off. Don't like stop watching now. I know some of y'all won't want to get away from that, but I think if you really listen to what Christ has to say to us today, it's going to be super helpful to you. So it seems like some of us are a little more familiar with this topic than others, and uh, sometimes that can press us a little bit. But, um, you know, recently I was reading that there was this, this husband and his wife, and they were talking, and the, the husband was just kind of getting exasperated with his wife on some things. And he's like, why are you always worrying when it doesn't do any good? Like, there's nothing, there's no good that comes, but why are you always worrying? And the wife quickly uh, piped back, oh, yes, it does. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. And uh, sometimes I think we feel that way. We feel justified in thinking if I can worry about this, if I can plan, if I can make a, if I can figure this out ahead of time, then somehow maybe I can avoid it or, or keep it from happening or control what's going on. Um, but I think Jesus is going to press on us a little bit and show us um, that not only does worry not help, um, it actually hurts and it can damage our relationship with God. And so we want to, to try to get that under control and get that in a good place. So here's kind of the main idea as we walk it through the text today. Worry wages war against my walk with Christ. Worry wages war against my walk with Christ. And so uh, the first thing I want you to look at is in verse 25. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So the first point today is worry hijacks my life. And by the way, if you didn't see it on Facebook or in the email, if you didn't see the link for the sermon notes, you can download those and follow along there and either you know type in or, or print one off and write in the stuff as we go if you really want to follow. So you can pause and get that if you haven't gotten it yet. But the first uh, point this morning is worry hijacks my life. What's interesting to me in this passage of Scripture is we're going to read through it through the rest of the sermon. You're going to see that the word anxious shows up in this section of Scripture six different times. And uh, this is a super helpful tip for, for studying God's Word and studying your Bible. Anytime you're reading a passage and there's a word that's repeated multiple times in the same section of Scripture, that is a big clue that that is the emphasis of the teaching in that section, and that God's trying to talk to you about that topic or that idea. So it's great to drill down on that. So here, Jesus is talking to us about being anxious, and the definition of anxious means literally to experience worry. And so that's really what he's talking about here is this issue of worry. He says, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life. And then he goes on to say, do not worry about your body. And um, at first, that's kind of off-putting. He's like, really, Jesus? Like, don't worry about your life? That's a pretty big deal. Like, having life and breathing and continuing to live, I kind of want to keep doing that. And so, um, but as he gets specific on it, he says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, 
your body what you will wear. So he's not talking necessarily about life at all, but more the quality or the quantity of what we're experiencing in life, more our lifestyle um, than even life itself per se. And he says, for this reason, don't worry about those things because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. In other words, the quantity or the quality of your lifestyle doesn't actually matter as much as it does that your life is being used for the Lord and you're running after Him. He wants us to turn our focus, as usual, away from the temporal, away from the, the things of this world, the things that, that you know waste away, and turn our eyes towards Him and the vertical and the eternal and making sure that we are pressing in on the more important things of life. I feel like so many people around us in our culture, in our society, maybe you, maybe me, we get so worried about our life, specifically in the bigger issues of finding meaning or finding joy or finding fulfillment and saying, you know, what's this really all about and how can I be a part of this? And when we worry, um, or I'm sorry, we worry when we don't find that thing that we're looking for, the joy, the fulfillment in the stuff that we think it's going to be in, the food, the drink, the clothes, the lifestyle, the new car, the new house, whatever it is, we think it's going to make us happy. When it doesn't, it just actually increases our worry that started this whole process and cycle. And it leads to many of the problems that we experience in our world. I think we can trace worry as one of the main causes of things like mental illness, and a lot of people, even physical illness, that it takes a toll on our bodies whenever we're constantly worried and stressed. Uh, drug and alcohol abuse oftentimes is linked back to worry and fear and not being able to control things, even promiscuity uh, and worry that if I don't live a certain way and act a certain way towards the opposite sex, that they're not going to treat me or respond to me the way that I want or I'm not going to be uh, get what I want in this life. And so Jesus is telling us here that there is more to life, there is more to fulfillment uh, beyond what this world has to offer, beyond what this body um, has to offer. And when we don't get that, when we miss that nuance, especially as believers of Christ, uh, we find out that worry tricks me into believing that this earth is the extent of my life. When I get stuck in tunnel vision worry, I'm really starting to believe and buy into the lie from Satan that this life is all there is. That if, if I'm going to be joyful, if I'm going to experience anything good, if I'm going to enjoy my, myself, I have to do it now here in this stuff that surrounds my life in my body. And it's just not true. And God's trying to call us beyond that. Um, at our, in our house, you know, several years ago, uh, we, we were given like this play set, um, you know, like a swing set and slide and stuff for our girls. And it's been great for years. We've been, they've been playing on it and stuff, but they're kind of getting a little bit older now. They're kind of starting to outgrow it a little bit, especially Eliana and Karis. And like they got to the point where like they'd be swinging like the place is like coming off the ground because they got too much weight for it. Or they try to slide and their feet are already hitting the ground before they even take off. And so he's like, okay, they're getting a little big for it. We probably need to get rid of that and do something, maybe something else for them to play with or play on. So this Christmas, we decided we were going to go for a trampoline. That was our big thing. And so we, we found a good deal. We kind of saved up and got this trampoline for the girls. And so we get the trampoline. It's one of those, you know, like nice ones with the padding all around and like the 360-degree net, like all around the top of the trampoline so nobody's falling off. And I'm like, where was that stuff when we were kids, right? Like, like if you didn't get bounced off the trampoline when you were playing, like you weren't doing it right. Like nobody was having fun if somebody wasn't bouncing off and landing on the rusty springs, right? But anyway, so they got these all these fancy stuff. So we set it all up. We get it ready for them, and they're loving it, and they're playing on it. Um, so anyways, last weekend, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, last Saturday night, we got a pretty good windstorm come through, and it was really windy outside and kind of crazy. And so uh, we all kind of go to bed Saturday night, and I'm just, I'm just getting ready to fall asleep. And Courtney rolls over, and she's like, Micah, Micah. I think the trampoline is going to blow away. And I'm like, 
what are you talking about? She's like, no, I've seen these things. I've seen like these videos online where like the wind comes through and like picks the trampolines up and, and flies them into like uh, other people's yards and stuff. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what? So I, I did a little research this week. Um, evidently my wife was right, which she usually is. So here's a little video of a uh, trampoline uh, windstorm. Check this. No sound, so if you're not hearing anything, that's okay. <laughs> like straight off the frame, like flying saucer style, right? And then check, watch, watch, watch. Boom, <laughs> like falls in the neighbor's yard. And so, so this is what she's seeing in her head is she's seeing the wind. So like, I'm saying like, okay, well, there's nothing we can do about it now. You know, like we just, just pray and hope that it, nothing happens. And you know, I'm not going out in the middle of the crazy windstorm to try to like anchor this thing down at this point. So we just have to hope that it stays in place and pray through night. So, so I'm, I'm laying over, I pray, I go back to sleep. But like every time a big gust of wind comes through and some noises outside, Courtney's like, Mike, did you hear that? I'm like, no, I'm trying to sleep. And um, we have church the next day. So for us, Saturday night is major sleep time because we get up at like 5 a.m. on Sundays to kind of come get ready and set the church up and everything. And so I just found it really ironic that here we are, okay, in bed trying to rest so that we can come in tomorrow morning rested to worship the almighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign God of the universe, yet we are laying awake literally losing sleep over some stupid trampoline in the backyard. Um, this is what worry does to us. It hijacks our life and we get caught in this tunnel vision where all of our focus is on the problem and the what ifs and how am I going to handle this and what's going to happen. And meanwhile, we are missing what life is really all about. So if I was to summarize, here's the, here's the main idea. When I worry, I am keeping my eyes on the problem, not the problem solver. My life gets hijacked when I have all my focus on this issue, this circumstance, this thing I can't figure out, or I'm, I, I don't know how, what's going to happen or whatever it is, and I don't, take my, I don't have my eyes on Christ and trusting him uh, if, with whatever is coming in the future. So worry hijacks my life. Second thing, look at verse 26. Jesus keeps going here. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, not more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the second point we see here from Jesus is that worry hijacks my faith. Not just my life, but worry also hijacks my faith. It's point number two. Worry takes a shot at God's character. Think about what you're saying to God when you worry. When I worry, it shows God that I don't truly believe that he is who he says he is. That he really is the God of the universe. That he really has all power and control. And that he can handle whatever it is in my life. And so I'm questioning God's character every time I decide to worry. And Jesus points out here three specific areas where worry uh, is a problem for us, and, and we have to watch. So uh, first thing he talks about are the birds, right? And in this example, he's showing us that worry is doubting God's capacity. 
That's the first thing, right? The first type of worry is doubting God's capacity. He says the birds, look at them. They don't store up food. They don't, you know, you know, prepare for the future. They just, they work, all right? Birds do work. They go out and they gather food, but they do it day by day. And they trust the Lord to provide for them day by day by day. Is it wrong to work? No. Is it wrong to save? No. Is it wrong when I stop trusting God's capacity to provide for me because of how much I have or don't have? Yes, that is a problem. Jesus says, don't worry about God's capacity. The second way he talks about, he says, which one of you can add a single hour to your life by worry? And his point here is that you worry is doubting God's control. None of us are in control of how much life we get. Worry does not increase the, the span of your life one bit. If anything, worry can actually decrease the span of your life because uh, the worry t- takes a toll on you physically and emotionally and all these kind of things. And worry, when I worry, I'm convincing myself that I can control my life better than God can control my life. That I can find a way to, to extend it or to make it um, better or to somehow increase it by worrying my way through this circumstance instead of saying, God's got my days numbered. He knows what's coming. He's got a plan, and I can trust him in that. So worry is doubting God's capacity. Worry is doubting God's control. That's number two. And number three, worry is doubting God's care. Worry is doubting God's care. His last example is with the flowers. He says, look at the flowers, right? They are clothed in the greatest splendor. He says, not even the richest king of all time looks as good as the flowers do. That God cares for them. He takes care of them. He, can, he clothes them, even though they are disposable. Right? He says they're thrown into the fire. They're mere, mere fuel to keep us warm at the end of the day. And if he clothes them and he cares for them, how much more will he care for you? The son or the daughter that he made in his image, that he's called into his family, the ones that he loves most and cares for most, How much more is he going to care for you? Why do you doubt God's care? And so worry usually shows up in one of these three areas, doubting God's capacity, doubting God's control, or doubting God's care. Uh, A theologian, Robert Mount, I was reading this week, he had this quote I thought was really good. He says, doubt is practical atheism and an affront to God. In other words, when I doubt, I'm with my heart, with my actions, I'm practically saying, God, I don't think you really exist. I don't think you really are who you say you are. I don't really think you can handle this issue in my life. And that's an affront to God. So Jesus goes through these three examples, and then his last statement in the last example to his disciples is, Oh, you of little faith. And when he says that, what he means is that you have a lack of trust in God. That you're not really trusting him. You're not really putting your hope in him. Worry puts trust in me, in my plan, in my ability instead of trusting in the Lord over all these things. Now, I've mentioned a word a couple different times here, and some of you might, I know what you might be thinking, and the question is, all right, Mike, you keep talking about worry, but you're also kind of talking about plan and planning a little bit, and we just did a couple of sermons on planning, and you said it was a good thing. So let's just talk about a little for a second here about planning versus worry. What's the difference? How do they work? What's the Bible say about each one? Planning is a good thing. The Bible speaks well of planning. It encourages us to plan in many ways. But here's what planning really is. Sometimes we take worry and we call it planning, and that's not what it is. Here's what planning is. Planning is asking the question, what's next? In other words, God, what do you want me to do next? It's us asking God how we should move forward. It's asking his input and looking ahead to the next step he wants us to take. That's good planning. 
Worrying, on the other hand, is asking the question, what if? Not what next, but what if? It's asking ourselves, what if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't move? What if God doesn't have this one? What if I can't trust him for this? Right? And when we're asking the what if questions and we are fretting and we're believing that God might not take care of it like he said he would, now we're into worrying instead of planning. Planning is not a sin, but worrying is because it puts our faith in us and our plan over God himself. This is why so many people struggle with the gospel. This is why so many people struggle with trusting in Christ for salvation because they say, well, I believe, Micah. We were just having this conversation uh, yesterday uh, with uh, some of our small group leaders. Like, they say, hey, I, you know, we got people, I believe the facts about Jesus. I believe that he came. I believe that he was you know, a good man. I feel like he died on the cross and he died for my sin. And I believe all the stuff and the facts about Jesus. I believe the gospel, but they stop short of trusting in him. They believe it with their head, but they don't trust him with their heart. They don't trust him with their plans. Right? They feel like they have to figure it out. They have to do their works. They have to do good deeds. They have to do something to earn favor with God and to earn salvation. They don't trust him by, when he says that it's a free gift and that all you have to have is faith in my son. And if you will put faith in Jesus and turn from your sin, that you will be saved. That's the true gospel. The Bible tells us that the only way that you can be saved is through faith. Not through works, not through I'm going to do better, work harder, serve more, give more. The only way you can be saved is through faith. The only person you can be saved through is Jesus Christ. Trusting Jesus to save you from your sin through his perfect sacrifice. But in order for me to get there, I have to get past worrying about what if God isn't who he says he is. It takes faith. If you've done that, if you haven't done that, if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never actually put your faith in him, I would implore you to do that now. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know, you know who's watching this or what your situation is, but if you have not trusted in Christ for salvation and given him your faith and stopped worrying about how you're going to get to heaven when it's all said and done, you need to do that now and let Jesus save you. But I think many of you probably already have done that. And if you have done that, if you've trusted in Christ, if you were a Christian, think about what your worry really says. Think about what worry in your life says to you, says to others. It says, I believe in a God who's big enough to rescue me from sin and hell and damnation, but not big enough to provide for me in the world that he actually created. Or how about like this? I trust Christ to save me, but not to sustain me. That's what a worrying Christian is saying with their life. I trust him to save me, but not to sustain me. I don't think he can actually handle my day-to-day -day stuff. And that, my friends, is a lie of the flesh. That's our insecurity. That's our pride. That's our ego. That's our self-righteousness rising up in us. And that is why, even as Christians, we need the gospel every day. The gospel isn't just what saves you. The gospel is what speaks truth into your heart and brings you back to the reality of who you are and who God is and continues to make us dependent on him as he is taking us through this life. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Um, so I don't know if you guys have already noticed, but you know, 
we're barely into spring, but we're already getting, you know, emails and stuff in the mail about summer activities for the kids and this camp and that camp and all this other kind of stuff. One of the things that our girls love to do every summer, a big highlight of their summer is what we call Gramps Camp. And so Gramps Camp is every summer, my dad and my stepmom have um, invite all the grandkids down to their house for a week of just time with Gramps and Grammy. And they absolutely love, we actually have, I think they have some pictures uh, of them as well. So like this is several of the grandkids with Gramps and this is the giant uh, water slide that he makes out of a tarp or a slip and slide rather. He makes it out of a tarp and puts baby oil on it and like soap and all this other kind of stuff. And they go flying down that thing on the hill in their backyard. So the kids love going to Gramps camp. And so they had to put some kind of stipulations on it a few years back because um, there were just so many kids were starting to come. The family's growing. We're having more kids in our family and stuff. And so, so now here's how Gramps camp works. You have to be five years old and you have to be potty trained. You have to be able to take care of yourself on the potty, and you also have to be able to bathe and dress yourself because when you've got eight kids or nine kids at your house and you're trying to manage all that, you can't do all that for all of them. And so they've got to be able to do that on their own. So, so this year, this coming summer is going to be the first year that all three of our girls qualify for Gramps Camp. And Ava is super excited. She's been talking about this nonstop. Like, I want to go to Gramps Camp. And, and she knows that she has to do certain things. So she's um, started learning to, you know, tie her own shoes and get herself dressed and stuff. And just in the last couple of weeks, she had start, she started actually um, taking her own shower and bathing herself. So now all of our kids are taking showers by themselves. Praise the Lord. Like that is a good, good, good day for parents where you're not having to do that in the bathtub anymore. So that's been awesome. But anyway, she's doing all this stuff and getting ready to go to Graham's camp and is really excited about it. But it had me thinking back to um, the very first time that we sent Elle to Graham's camp. You know, she's very, she's young. She was like four or five years old. She's just kind of learning some of this stuff. And I remember us being so worried about her going to her, her, her first overnight away from mom and dad for a long time kind of thing. And is she going to be able to handle it? Like, what happens if she has an accident and, and she can't just know what to do? Or what if, you know, she, she doesn't, can't get her hair brushed out or whatever in the mornings? Or what if she doesn't know what clothes go together? Or, or worse, what if, what if she gorges herself because Grammy and Grammy don't ever tell them no. And so she just keeps eating and eating because uh, that's pretty much how it goes at our house. So, um, what happens if any of this, what she makes herself sick, you know, with all that. And, but you know what? All that worrying, all that stuff, all the questions, all the concerns, none of it mattered one little bit because we weren't there. And we couldn't help and we couldn't control it and we couldn't do anything about it. She was on her own. And all the worrying did was keep us in this constant what-if game. I think that's true for a lot of us in many areas of our lives. We play this game because somewhere deep down inside, we believe that if I can just anticipate, if I can just run through all the possible scenarios of what might happen or what might go wrong here or what might go wrong there, if I can go through all the what ifs, then somehow I can gain control over the situation. I can gain better control over my life. But it's just not true. If anything, the what if game, I think, shows us how little control we actually have. Because we go through all the what-if scenarios only to realize I can't do anything about them. I can't actually control this in any way. Now, just so you don't feel like I'm being insensitive, don't get me wrong. I understand that some of the what-ifs are real and they're hard and, and they really um, you know, are a big deal in our hearts and we struggle big time with some of them. What if I lose my job? What if I can't ever find the right mate? What if um, the church doesn't make it? What if my cancer comes back? Um, 
What if the kids uh, never stop waking up in the middle of the night and we never get a real night of sleep again, right? <laughs> like these are real things, like these are real issues in our life and we worry about this stuff. But when we worry about it and when we play the what if game, we're telling God, I don't think you have this. I don't think you got this one. I don't think you can handle this situation. I don't believe that you have the power, the control. You know what? I better take this one, God. I better, I better handle this one because I don't think you've got what it takes. Worry hijacks my faith in God. It gets me doubting. It gets me questioning. It gets me trying to, to take back control of something that's already supposed to be his. When I worry, I prove to God that I don't trust him. That's really what it boils down to. When, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when I worry, I prove to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And just think how much that hurts the heart of our Heavenly Father when his kids don't trust him. Worry hijacks my life. Worry hijacks my faith. Third thing, look at verse 31. Jesus says next, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worry hijacks my purpose. Worry hijacks my purpose. Um, here, he, he goes through the food and the drink and the wear thing again, but then he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. The Gentiles are the lost people, people who don't follow Christ, who haven't made Jesus king of their life. He's saying, listen, you're acting like the people who have the wrong king. You're acting like the people who are following the wrong kingdom. You're acting like you don't even know who I am, and we, have, we don't have a relationship in this thing. He says, don't act like the Gentiles. He says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first, primost, or primary, utmost in my heart, seeking after God, seeking after his kingdom. A disciple's chief focus and concern is God's kingdom. A true disciple of Christ, our chief concern has to be about him and his kingdom. The disciple's purpose is to live for him, not themselves. I think it's also interesting that Jesus uses the word seek here. That word seek yeah, and, and implies ongoing, continuous action, right? Like it's not like a one-time thing, oh, I sought the kingdom and now I'm done. No, I'm seeking the kingdom always, ongoing, keep going, don't stop, because our tendency in our flesh, in our brokenness, is to easily slide back into that world of worry, right? I, I've given this thing to God and it's all good, and then all of a sudden something else happens and I start to slide back into worry again. And Jesus says, no, no, you have to keep seeking first, the kingdom of God. Because as soon as I start to worry again and I start seeking him, I miss the true purpose of my life. I miss my opportunity to glorify him, to live for him, to be about his kingdom. He says, listen, seek first the kingdom and I will handle everything else. I'll give you everything else you need. You won't have to worry about that stuff because I will take care of you if you seek the kingdom first. To worry is to be mastered by my circumstances not by Christ. To worry is to be mastered, to be ruled over, to make king in my life, circumstances, instead of Jesus. I know this will probably be hard for uh, many of you who know me well to believe, uh, but when I was in elementary middle school, I did tend to get in trouble fairly often, but the one thing I got in trouble for the most uh, was actually talking too much in class. 
uh, if you can believe that. And so uh, it kind of worked like this. I would be in class and I would be working, I would be working through something, I would get done with my work early or I'd get done with the assignments early and I would get bored. And so then I would start talking to all the people around me um, when they were still supposed to be finishing their work. And so I would get in trouble for this over and over. I cannot count how many days uh, in a row I had lunch detention uh, because I was talking when I was supposed to be talking in the morning. So eventually my mom and my teachers kind of got together and had this, con- this conversation and they're like, here's the solution. Um, busy work. <laughs> he gets done early, give him more work. Give him more to do. Give him stuff. And it drove me crazy, all right? I hated all that busy work because I knew that it meant absolutely nothing. That it had no purpose, that it, it wasn't doing anything otherwise, other than just preoccupying my time and keeping me um, out of trouble. And I hated putting all that effort and all that work and all that energy into something that doesn't matter. When we get caught up in the worries of this world, that's what we're doing. We're putting time and energy and effort and resources into busy work. We're putting stuff into things that don't matter, that have no lasting purpose, no lasting value. C.S. Lewis has a great quote um, pressing in on this issue. He says this, he says, it would, be, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, if you're a follower of Christ, God has called us to the greatest mission and the greatest purpose that anyone has ever known. To follow him and to make disciples for the kingdom. And when we get caught in the worries of this world, we are wasting our time and our energy on busy work and we're missing the purpose that he has made us for. We can't get lost in that. can't get lost in the busy work. When I worry... I forfeit my greater mission to be a slave to worthless busy work. When I worry, I forfeit my greater mission to be a slave to worthless busy work. And then one last thing today. We'll get the last verse in this section, verse 34. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love this verse right here. And what Jesus drives home is this. My worry is arrested by God's mercy. When worry comes as it does for all of us, I don't have to live in that. I don't have to stay in that. I can be rescued from it by God's grace, by God's mercy. He says here, do not be anxious about tomorrow. In other words, don't get ahead of yourself. In fact, don't get ahead of God. Don't be trying to deal with tomorrow when it's still today. Focus on today. He says sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right? God only asks you to deal with one day at a time. He doesn't ask you to worry about the future stuff. He's like, just deal with today. And that's where he promises to meet you, is in today. A great verse for this is Lamentations 3, 22-23. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God promises to give you new mercy each and every day. But he'll only give you enough mercy 
for the problems of that day. He doesn't give you mercy for tomorrow's problems or next week's problems. He gives you mercy for today. Kind of like the Israelites when they were wandering through the wilderness and he was providing them manna. You remember that? And he had rained down from heaven. He gave them food. But he only gave them enough each day for that day. And then the next day they had to go out and get more. And next day they had to go out. He provided for them day by day. The same thing is true with us as he gives us mercy and grace for today. The problem with worry is this. Worry uses today's mercy for tomorrow's problems. Worry takes the mercy and the grace that God's given me to make it through today and it wastes it on tomorrow's problems and then I come up short for what I need to get through today. And it train wrecks my life. So, just really practically, right here to close and to kind of bring us down to the end here, what's the practical application? How do I deal with this, Micah? How do I exchange worry for peace? How do I get past the worry and experience the peace of God that he promises? For that, we're going to go to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, worry is a conversation with myself about something that I can't, I can't control. But prayer is a conversation with God about something that he already controls. He's already there. Our God is over everything. He is already existent in tomorrow, waiting to deal with whatever it is that comes our way. We don't have to worry about something that we can't even see or control yet. He's got it. And the way we invest in him in that, the way we release that to him is through prayer. That's what Paul says here. So three things, um, how to exchange worry for peace. Here's the process that Paul gives us. Number one is the problem. I need to identify the point of worry. What's the problem? What's the issue? What's driving it? What's the heart of worry behind this problem that I'm so obsessed with? So I identify the problem, and then I take, and then the second step is prayer. I present my problem to God. I take it to Him. I don't worry about it. I don't try to hold on to it. I don't try to carry it. I take it to God in prayer. And when we're talking about prayer, uh, you see this a lot in the Psalms. There's two very key parts of prayer that help us deal with our worry. The first one is preach. As part of your prayer, you actually need to be preaching to yourself the Word of God, right? Praying God's promises back to yourself, reminding yourself of God's faithfulness, preaching to yourself, man, this is who my God is, right? He is a God who is faithful and everlasting, and He never quits, and He never abandons me, and He's always been there, and here's the proof. You need to be encouraging your heart as you're praying with the, the reminders of who God is and what He's done, and then the second part is praise, because he is who he is and because he's done what he's always done, I can praise him with faith and believe that God is going to do it again. And I can pray with a heart of faith that God's going to show up and I don't have to worry about this anymore. So problem, prayer, and then once we do that and we release that, comes the peace. God's supernatural peace. The scripture here says it's beyond human understanding. That's the kind of peace we need. It's so much greater and so much bigger than any problem this world has to offer that it just covers it. It just, it just covers it over and we trust the Lord. It's that kind of peace that will hold you until he works out whatever it is and you can rely on him and keep going. You know, like, Mike, okay, that's great. The, the problem, the prayer, the peace. But I've done that before 
And sure enough, the worry comes back, right? Like the next day or the next week, here it is again. Then what do I do? What do I do when the worry comes back? Well, it's kind of shampoo bottle, right? Repeat as needed. Like you just got to keep going back to the process. Go back to, no, no, no. I've given that up. I've prayed. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to release this to the Lord. I'm going to let his peace come, right? Stop talking to yourself about the problem. Start talking to God about the problem. And you'll get to experience his peace. We started off with this idea that worry wages war against my walk with Christ. We want to be growing with Jesus. We want to be going deeper. That's what God's desire for us is. God wants to deliver you from the sin of worry. He doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to to live there. He wants to give you freedom and joy. But it starts by us giving up the what-if game and turning to him in faith. Let's be done with that today. Let's be done with the what-ifs and the worry game and all the other stuff. And let's start running after God with big faith and a trust in our life that supersedes any circumstance and any other thing that would come against us. Your Heavenly Father is big enough and strong enough and able to handle all of it. I promise you that He is. You have to stop trying to handle it yourself and just trust Him to do it. So let's pray together. Let's just refresh our hearts with the truth of his word and his promises that he is able and he will handle this and we can trust him. Then Nathan's going to come and lead us in a song of response to the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. We thank you, God, for all that you've done and all that you're continuing to do. Father, we confess to you today and we believe that you are the almighty God, that you are the one who made the heavens and the earth, Lord, that you are the one who holds it all in your hands and you are in control and we can trust you. You're the one who saves us from sin and death. You are the one who calls us your own and makes us a way for us to know you. Lord, so today we are choosing, we are choosing with all we have within us, with all the faith we can muster to believe that you can also handle every aspect of our life, every aspect of our future. We are done second-guessing you. We are done doubting you. We are done questioning you. We are done with the sin of worry. Lord, rescue us from this. Lord, grow our faith and help us, Lord, to keep you first in everything. Father, the cry of our hearts is this. Lord, we trust you. Lord, We trust you. Make that true in our hearts today by the power of your spirit. Hear all these things in Christ's name. Amen.